Tim Bueller. I uh, work with uh, Enterprise Stewardship uh, within Wichita, Kansas with Electrix as one of our manufacturing companies and been there for six years now working with uh, developing electrical harnesses uh, within the prison system that we manufacture those within. And so it's been a lot of fun just to um, work on just uh, working with the product as well as with the people and a little bit underneath the, how that purpose drives all of that together. So it's part of our work faith uh, initiative that we've been Great. working on. So um, tell me, give me a little history of Tim Bueller. Yeah. You know, where were we born and raised and what are two or three things that really influenced you and what have you done in your life? Yeah, so really, uh, though I was born in uh, British Columbia, Canada, I was really raised on a farm in Kansas with my uh, grandparents. And uh, in that, it uh, got me back into uh, really central center of the uh, U.S. and uh, just the farm uh, manufacturing environment. And uh, really liked that uh, growing up. Um, got into Kansas State University, got electrical engineering. and uh, But during that process, really got a heart for uh, leading people. And um, the faith part really grew. I stepped out of engineering after three years and did uh, um, some uh, uh, ministry uh, working for a church, got my MDiv and ordination uh, in the EFCA church and um, did that for 15 years and went back into engineering. I did that for a little while longer and then began this work uh, that we work on with the manufacturing company with uh, integrating wire harnesses, uh, electrical systems of vehicles into uh, 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 manufacturing those assemblies out. So one of the things that, uh, so about 15 years of engineering, manufacturing, and 15 years of uh, ministry and bringing those two worlds together in the last few years has been a lot of fun to see those things come about. What happens when you could take your engineering uh, my uh, vocation and bring that into a um, into a ministry with purpose setting, uh, work with purpose setting, and that has really been a very fun. So that's kind of where I've been landed uh, in the last six years. Yeah. So you and I have had the pleasure of working together for about yep. six years, and that's been fun. Uh, life once in a while throws us curveballs, and yeah. you've been thrown. You were you have been thrown a curveball in the last uh, yeah. five or six years yeah. with the um, health of your um, your wife. Yeah. And uh, just. Uh, tell us just a little bit about that story and what God really taught you in that. Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, my wife's family has been struggling with cancer uh, for many years, and it, it had rippled into her, and she uh, had to go through five years of chemo and stuff, and and which uh, finally led to her passing uh, this past December. We have a family of five kids, and so we have a very full, busy home in the midst of uh, all of this going on. Um, in the midst of that, it's, uh, as I, I worked with uh, the vocation side and trying to manage these things at home, is uh, we realized what uh, the Lord had taught us in Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 6, to pray the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And uh, for me, that means um, not yesterday's bread, not tomorrow's bread, but today's bread. And that faith and hope is something that we need to steward. And, uh, and it's not and it's just enough for the day. It's not enough for tomorrow or it's not, you know, it doesn't take care of yesterday, but it, it's enough for what we have before us each day. And and for me, that really helped me just to settle into a daily rhythm 
and uh, just to care for those things that God gives us each day. It uh, reminds me of the parable of the talents too, you know, it's not to stow away those things that God gives you. It's like that faith, it will expire by the end of midnight tonight. So what can I do with that faith today and not, not bury it or not, you know, to make use of it? And so we actively through those five years, we're really intentional about gathering the faith we needed each day for hope that we would uh, have for that day. And, um, and it was enough to power us through each day. And since then, it's been a huge thing for our family and it's a huge thing for our work just to understand stewardship, to understand the time we have and how to build upon those things and to uh, make those really meaningful for us. So we, uh, we do not waste a day. And, uh, and we really, it helps us that mindset shift that uh, we need to um, not just think, uh, I'm just putting another day of work in. You know, yeah. that this is a unique day God's given us. And uh, how do we make the most of this day? So if it's me driving 59 miles from my home to Hutchison, Kansas, and I'm manufacturing, and I'm wondering as I'm driving in, who am I driving in for today? You know, who Check. is it that I am, uh, that God has set me aside, and I'm going these extra miles and uh, and doing that. So I, every day I think, okay, those there's God moments in my day, and that's where I'm going to spend that faith and make yeah. sure that I'm... Uh, bringing that underneath the hands-on in the work and the wrestling all these products and all these things to market and production and and getting them to our customers at the same time underneath that there's this purpose that this faith that uh, underneath it that's powering us through it in the way of just bringing in a, an extra level of intentionality in all of that we're doing yes so uh you've got a divinity degree yep you also have an electrical engineering degree yep. You've been a pastor. You've been an electrical engineer. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about this integration of faith and work. Yeah. What does that look like? How should it work? How does it best work? Yeah. So uh, we think of my in my life. I have a sec. I have secular work, which is the working of product and these type of things of the world, and then I have this sacred work, which is what God's doing in and through me. And how can we layer that together? Has been really helpful for me. So as I think about uh, the layering of our work, is that there is a, there's a transactional level of a job I need to do. There's a social level of me connecting with the people and building a team around that, and that's a very social capital level for me. That's where I'm building these relationships, investing in those things. And that includes for me, both people and processes. It's like how working with these people and how I work with these people. So the how question. So on the transactional level is what am I doing? How am I doing it? But underneath that is a really sacred layer called the, uh, the spiritual capital layer, which is the why I'm doing all this. And why am I today here sitting with this person, working and wrestling these things through? Or why am I off traveling to meet this person or that? You know, and so I'm always looking for uh, those sacred moments uh, where God is going in the mid, right in the middle of our work, there's a conversation and I'm taking him out for lunch or doing something, you know, and, but super intentional. There's, a, it's not just a mindless, I'm working through this. So I, I call it the work behind the work is the phrase I use uh, a lot. God's working behind all of my work, you know? Um, and uh, so where, what is he stirring? What's he doing in this person's life? And how can I, I be a part of that t today? What little piece will God allow me to be a part of that? So that faith I gathered up earlier in my day, I can now spend it um, in that sacred moments uh, in the midst of the work we do. Yes. So uh, you work for a company that 
manufactures a lot of their components in a very unusual place called the maximum security prison. Yeah. So a lot of these folks that you're um, building relationships with, that you're building um, economic, social, and spiritual capital with, mm -hmm. as it were, are inmates. Talk to us just a little bit about what that looks like, uh, what have you seen, what's been the impact of that, and and how, how do inmates... Uh, how do they function compared to the mm -hmm. those of us that are on the outside? What yeah. are their lives like compared to ours? So I've always had a heart for reaching unreached people, and definitely inmates are unreached people. They're locked up, they're yeah. away, and so it is not easy uh, engaging in our work within the prison uh, to reach these guys. And these, but I I was surprised to find something that I really was really uh, struck me odd. Uh, within the small group of 100, 200, 300 guys that we work with um, versus if I go to church on a Sunday morning and I have 300 so guys in the foyer, uh, I contrast those two groups of guys. And what I'm, what I'm interested in is uh, looking for men of conviction, of, have an understanding of what, what, got, what are, they're stripped down and really to the core, they're broken and they're need. Uh, and I find, I was, I was surprised to find so many guys in the system who were at that place. They were, they were like, they have nothing left and they're really available and open to God more so than the successful man who's got a family and busy. And it's like almost the busyness of a, a person in a church has overtaken them and they don't have time to sit back and let God really deal with the deeper parts of them. Where I have these guys that are really, uh, they have taken advantage of the opportunity of being set apart in prison for all these years. And, and uh, they've been open to God doing something new, a new work in them. And that for me has been super exciting. It's been fun for me to get to know them. I, I always have this shift in, uh, to think about when I'm walking in. I'm, I'm cautious of where I'm walking, but I'm always thinking I'm not judging the man on what they've done, just the man in front of me today. And, and it's so important because uh, we have all made mistakes and we've all done things. And uh, they have been caught in a way maybe we haven't for our sin. But who's saying their sin is any worse than mine? Sin sin. You yeah. know, it's all damnable at the end. And uh, so it's uh, what is it that um, that uh, that this man is? And a lot of these men are incredible men that have come a long ways. God is doing a new work in them. Some of them haven't met God yet, but they are ready. They're right in that place where they're ready. And sometimes this first job is like this is the first. The reason a lot of these guys are in prison, they never work today. And that's why they, they had idle hands and they found other things to do instead of work, you know, yeah. and got them in trouble. And uh, and as we teach them a job and work and we believe in them in the process of like they bring value and worth um, to uh, their day and they see these things, that just reforms them. And sometimes it even transforms them. Yes. Um, it actually changes the way they uh, their, their map. And a lot of these guys never had a values map. They never had any kind of value placed upon them at all. And we place a values map in our work about these things. And here's what it means to be a virtuous employee. Here's what it means to create virtue, to give life in your day to yeah. other things around you instead of take life. Yeah. And that has been a powerful thing for these guys. So we see these guys not just embrace them, but they just come alive. And and it's uh, the contrast is, is just phenomenal. So. Yeah. We have uh, five or seven guys now that I work with have since come out of the prison 
and they have uh, either worked for us outside uh, the space or working for a customer or working on their own in their own space and uh, very similar skills that we taught them. And it's fun to watch them be life givers. They, they come in and they're just, they're flourishing at a level that yes. most people rarely get to. And, yeah. uh, and right from the get go. And, and it's not, it's just a totally different way that they, and everyone around them is just surprised who they are and what they can do now. It's just their, the contrast is yes. the man they came in, the man they came out are very different because of the yes. work that we've done with them. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, social and spiritual capital. I think oftentimes as Christians, we think you know, if, if that person had just get Jesus, everything would be fine. But talk to me a little bit about the importance of giving a person a job, of uh, their ability to create economic capital, and then also be in relationship, what we would call social capital. Talk to me just a little bit about that. Yeah, so there is definitely a, um, a need for man to uh, give and contribute to those things in their life, you know. And, and uh, when we think of the time, talent, treasure, tribe that they are... Uh, given to and um, uh, really uh, things that they're responsible for, things that that have been entrusted is probably the best word uh, to them that they need to provide for and care for. Um, so they might have all these relationships, they might have these things, but if they don't have any provision, how many times have we seen where all of a sudden we're giving them a paycheck and they're sharing that paycheck to get their kids through school or to give their, uh, support their mom or dad at home and they're struggling or a sibling or just to give money to a charity or something on behalf of another person. We've seen that recently. Um, and, uh, and it was just, uh, it's just that ability for them to be, um, have capital on an economic level allows them to bring flourishing, not just to themselves, but, and they don't always think about themselves. It's not yeah. about what they can gain for themselves, but how they can actually empower and care for others. That rejuvenates uh, relationships, uh, peoples, uh, yeah. and the uh, and the purpose then all of a sudden starts coming out of that. Yeah. Like all of so, a sudden I can do more. So how much would you pay these people? Do they... Yeah, just yeah. talk to us about the yeah. the amount of money these folks would make in prison. Yeah, so uh, if you're if you're in prison, you get fifty cents to a dollar a day. If at if you get a chance to push a wheelbarrow around the yard or something, but a lot of these guys sit on their bunk all day and don't get anything. So they are um, they're burdened to the state and they're just passing time, literally doing time. They did a crime, they're doing their time. Yes, and um, these are these are folks that don't work for you yep. but work for the state of Kansas. They will make fifty cents or a dollar a day. Correct. But how much do the people that work for you? Make? Yeah. So our guys then um, in this place, uh, they have a state set wage of anywhere from twelve to sixteen dollars an hour or more, um, depending on what the state wage yes. sets for each of these guys. And so it's uh, everyone who works for us is free to the state. We they take care of their own room and board. All of a sudden, that feels really good to the taxpayer. Uh, but they also are there's things like restitution funds. There are victim funds yes. that um, that everyone has some level of that was also uh, at the sentencing uh, given to them, and so they're in debt. So a lot of these guys are debt ridden uh, and never pay those debts off because they never make any money. So those debts go unpaid for 
decades. Yeah. And uh, for the first time, they're coming out because part of the money we give them, a third goes to the restitutions and gets all the victim funds paid. So they're coming out debt-free. The victims are being paid. This is just feels good for everyone. Yeah. A third goes to their um, the housing for their own food and room and board, and then the other for the uh, savings. And uh, when they come out, they actually have something to land on and not starting with zero, you know? Yeah. And so... Um, they are, they are really, uh, we're setting them up uh, in ways that they just normally would have no, there's just, and you wonder why the restitution rate, the rate uh, you come back, uh, I'm sorry, the rest, recidivism rate, the rate you come back into prison is so high because they, they, don't, they haven't gained anything. In fact, the world's moved on without them yes. and they're more irrelevant. Yeah. And now we have given them something where they actually have, even if they don't go into the skills we taught them, a lot of the guys just say, you just taught me how to work, period. You taught me how to interact, just to communicate. How do I, well, a lot of the guys will talk about one of the most important things uh, you've taught me is how to communicate pro- appropriately in a business setting. Yes. And just how I might need something. You know, it's like, yeah. yo, dog, I need that here now. It doesn't <laughs> cut it in the workplace. And how, uh, you know, I have a shortage on this part. And is there a way we can find a process to get these parts and uh, secure what I need? And they learn these there's processes, there's ways to talk about that and yeah. and how to work that through. And, and that's for them, is, it's changed everything. Yeah. So you talked about recidivism rates. What kind of recidivism, recidivism rates are there nationally? And then what would those rates compare to um, the, com- the, the, the electrical company you're working for? Yeah, so we we have heard recidivism rates around sixty five percent or even more uh, nationally. That's the within two years, a inmate comes out, they're back in prison. Um, and uh, in those states with privatized industry, it's a little bit lower, maybe under fifty percent, um, maybe between thirty to fifty percent. But those, like in our particular case with uh, Electrics and Seeking, um, we're seeing single digit recidivism rates. We're seeing uh, places where. Um, uh, that they are uh, it's the rare and few uh, end up coming back, um, and uh, and usually for other circumstances than yeah. what typically they brought them in the first place. So it's uh, different things that might catch them and and the other side. But for the most part, it's just been incredible what, to watch these guys come out and yeah. they just uh, a whole nother level. Yeah. So can you think of a person or a story you could just relate to us? Uh, um, that's just kind of one of those things that is uh, almost a miraculous story that you've seen. Yeah, so yeah. there's definitely a couple of guys that have just been phenomenal. Uh, I, one of the guys came out um, after 20 some years being in prison and uh, worked for us uh, on the outside and working with customers. And so I took him on his very first customer visit um, to Georgia, to uh, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. and. Uh, and it was just fun to spend a couple of days with him and just uh, visiting customers. And I had him rework a harness right in the back of an R&D lab with a customer and with uh, we had uh, which is owned by a Japanese company. And they were there. The Japanese executives were watching over this and they were just in complete awe of watching this guy because here's a guy who can actually build and redo the harness who's been building their harnesses for years in the prison. And now he's doing it live right there in the back shops as we're creating 
products on the fly uh, as we're building them. Uh, and he ended up moving his whole entire family from California out to Hutchison, which was just an amazing story to watch how um, he's just brought them, uh, uh, brought a whole new life to them uh, because of a job, because of a simple thing to, I have a place to work. You know, he could have gone to California and worked at a 7-Eleven or some kind of fast food restaurant or something, you know, and maybe found a manufacturing job somewhere. But, it, you know, for him, it's a place where he is he, he has some competence, some ex, uh, that competency and understanding how things are done. Uh, so a lot of the guys that we work with, they build from the ground up and we build the design skills in on top of their building skills. And so we have designers who are actually builders, which is rare in the industry. We yeah. actually have a lot of designers who have never built anything ever. Yeah. And so these, these are very, uh, these are, these are guys are a whole nother level of a uh, uh, competency of a bill understanding of how these things are all put together and so they become very uh desirable uh in our industry yeah. and so he's he's just one example of a guy that's done that we've seen another guy get out and uh, he started his own company that's similar to ours and for the lower end uh, like a mom and pop shop and uh, to take care of the smaller guys that we couldn't take care of anymore and and just to watch them flourish and just to start their own llc their own uh, uh startup and he hires all these guys that are coming out of the prison or builders and uh, that we can't secure and work with. And uh, he takes care of them and he builds them in their shop. And so it's just fun to watch him be a life giver and just to build uh, and to continue to, to take care of these guys in new ways. And uh, so it's been fun to watch just uh, the work ripple beyond us and yeah. outside of us even yeah. and how that extends to families. So yeah. it's been a blessing. Well, that's really terrific. Tim, you are... Uh a great example of integrating faith and work. Mm. And um, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Pete, for you allowing me to have today and appreciate your work that you provide for us here. You today. bet.